1: What's going on, night fans? Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast as uh, we get ready for uh, well the first of two consecutive uh, big autonomous five, shall we call them, games for UCF football. A huge weekend for a bunch of UCF sports outside of football. Um, wow, it's uh, it, now we're now we're eyeball deep into. Um, football season can you feel the excitement Brian Murphy like now the rubber's hitting the
2: road i feel it jeffrey no I more pre- like no the- more preseason oh it's it's exhilarating i love it yes. i love it
1: <laughs> and there was much rejoicing yeah <laughs> uh, how
2: about you how
1: about you Lopez
0: yeah i mean thats that sil- uh... that
1: that that awkward pause spoke volumes by the way
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah we got finally some decent opponents coming up now we just yeah. figure out who's actually going to play quarterback or how many of them
1: all right well we'll talk about that and plenty more with the preview of UCF against Stanford we'll review uh UCF and FAU and the apparent game day operations debacle that was uh down in Boca Raton if you didn't go to the game uh the football game itself was good for UCF um and uh, and we'll talk also about uh, men's soccer, women's soccer and volleyball, all three of them with tremendous weekends um, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com UCF's home on the SB Nation network uh, and uh, you can follow us at UCF underscore banneret, follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo and Spokes underscore Murphy, also don't forget facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret for all the latest, alright so let's go back and um, just debrief from that FAU game. Of course, UCF getting the uh, 48-14, somewhat rain-shortened victory over uh, over FAU. The game was stopped. I think was a four minutes and 20 seconds to go. Um, yep. It was a total. It was a total.
0: Thank you, Mother d- Nature.
1: Yes, total uh, due to lightning in the area, and uh, and and uh, fortunately for all who value reason and logic. Uh, the white brothers, Danny for UCF and uh, his his brother, the AD for FAU, um, decided, you know what, let's just pack it in and go home. So um, the uh, storylines from this game, um, obviously was uh, the big one was right off the bat, and Brian, you broke the story about an hour before kickoff that uh, Dylan Gabriel was going to get the start for UCF, and uh, lo and behold, he certainly did. His numbers on the day, not... He started super hot, but then cooled off significantly. He finished uh, 7 of 19 for 245. Two touchdowns, no picks. Um, He was sacked once. Uh, Quadra Jones came in in relief uh, and is still batting 1,000. One for 117 yards. Um, But the big story to me was uh, was two stories. Um, Number one, the running game, which picked up Gabriel when he started struggling in the um, second quarter UCF had. Three guys that's uh, with seventy five or more rushing yards: Otis Anderson, Bentavius Thompson, and uh, and Greg McCray. Adrian Killens added thirty seven. Um, five different nights rushed for touchdowns. Those three guys plus uh, plus uh, Adrian Killens and Dylan Gabriel, um, and uh, and then the defense. Even though the stats will show you that Fau had only one less first down than UCF had a uh, uh, total yards uh, three hundred fourteen. Um, on 87 plays, which is 20 more than UCF ran. They were held to 3.6 yards per play, and they were chasing Chris Robison, the FAU quarterback, all over the building all night long. Um, You were there in Boca. um, On field, Um, what was the big takeaway for you from this game?
2: I I thought, for me, it was just how both lines of the scrimmage, I I thought UCF dominated uh, at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, run blocking, they could get whatever they wanted. At any at any gap too, it didn't matter if they're running off a left tackle, right tackle, right guard, left guard. They could get anything they wanted on the ground with their backs. The the, the you know, FAU blitzes a lot. They send a lot of pressure, and that pressure got home a few times to Dylan Gabriel. Um, caused him that that pressure caused some of the incompletions. Um, so that is something that they probably need to be better at. But the the run blocking was amazing. And then uh, for the defense, just getting in the backfield again. I think they had, what, 16 tackles for loss?
1: Yes, 16 um, tackles for loss.
2: Larry is um, talking to defensive line coach Shane Burnham this week, and I wanted to ask him about, you know, how, how proud was he about the, the tackles for loss with his defensive front? And he's like, yeah, that was probably one of our worst games. That was probably one of the worst games we've had. That was our worst game, worse than, than FAMU, and, you know, didn't have good hand placement. We lost contain a few times. We missed some tackles. and It just goes to show like we can see like what we see uh, a lot, you know, in the stat sheet and in our in, in our momentary glimpse of live action uh, can be a lot different than what the coaches see upon review of the all 22 film.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, if that was one of their worst performances, um, you know, I hate to I hate to see what happens when they actually have it. Have it going elo you uh you were watching the game uh, as I was back here um, in town you brought up that point too about UCF dominating the line of scrimmage and you know what I think is interesting is teams look at uh, people look at teams like UCF that play the offensive scheme that they do as the opposite of what they do is is dominate the line of scrimmage because you run the spread offense because you can't dominate the line of scrimmage but that's what UCF is doing and uh what was what was your big sort of storyline coming out of this game as well for you.
0: I think somewhere George O'Leary was watching with a smile on his face and he's like, that's the kind of football I like, right? Cause, you know, it's really? Run,
1: running plays every seven seconds and spreading everybody across the field?
0: Yeah, but you say that, but I'm going to tell you something. You could, you could play that, but the bottom line is Josh Heupel and George O'Leary are not that different. They both believe in running the football and being physical up front. And now the difference is that Josh Heupel You know, does not huddle, whereas George did. But really, the concept's the same. And, you know, we can be as fancy as you want with football, but it comes down to the nuts and bolts. And Murph has alluded to It's about being physical up front and dominating in the line of scrimmage. And that's what UCF did. And that's what the George O'Leary teams did when they were good. And that's what this Hypo team is doing well. So while we're going to spend a lot of time, rightfully so, on the quarterback situation, it really didn't matter who was lining up at quarterback because with that offensive line, which we've said, has a chance to be their best offensive line they've had since the Fiesta Bowl team of 2013, in my opinion, when they had the McRae brothers, and the depth and the talent they have in the backfield, this team could dominate in running the football. And that's really, I think, what Josh Heupel likes. Uh, and he said that, and he's said that in press conferences about running the football, establishing the run, to, and then that will set up the passing game and the play action and going on top vertically. I think to me, that's the takeaway with this football team. It's funny, people have this idea that it's this open offense, but in reality, when this team is clicking on cylinders, really it's running the football and dominating the scrimmage. And I think that's why, while we could, you know, that's why I think if you're George O'Leary and you've, you've watched UCF football, that part of it at least is quite familiar as a successful formula.
1: Well, it took a lot of pressure off of Gabriel who had that hot start in those first two drives. I think it was three for his first time. And by the way, um, at three for his first five uh, and led the two touchdown drives. And By the way, there was an interesting number that came uh, from the CBS telecast. Um, they didn't say who the last guy was, but Gabriel had seven completions. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, true freshman, making his first start. Seven completions for 245 yards, and that was the most yards on the fewest completions for a college quarterback since 2003. Um, Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have known who that guy was. But um, uh, we got word that, uh, first of all, what was the situation with Brandon Wimbush officially, Brian? Um, And then your analysis of Dylan Gabriel in that game, because it was an up-and-down game, but a win is a win, right?
2: Yeah, well, yes. Uh, as far as Wimbush goes, the explanation that we were given by Coach Heupel um, was that he was not 100% and that they just didn't want to him out there because, quote-unquote, he wasn't 100%. So take that for what what you will. Uh, and and uh, I, I guess I'll just add here that they do expect Brandon Wimbush to play against Stanford this week. Don't know who's going to start yet, but they do expect him to play. Uh, Gabriel, you know, I, I, I know everybody's going to look at the completion percentage and, and the the passes and the attempts. Seven for 19 looks ugly. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it certainly wasn't like he was hellaciously off target that often. Um, you know, early at the end of the near the end of the first quarter, he has an end zone throw to Trey Nixon that's on target and a really good play by the DB to break it up. Uh, he has a deep shot down the field to Otis Anderson. Uh, who's matched up? Uh, on, I think on a safety who just pushes Otis Anderson down to the ground for a clear pi uh, that was called. Yeah, but if he doesn't, but, but like it was a good play by the defensive back because I think if if he doesn't commit that pass interference, uh, Otis probably catches that ball for a touchdown. That was right on the money. There was a there was a shot down the seam to Jacob Harris where Jacob Harris turned over the wrong shoulder um, and uh, actually the ball still hit his hand. But if he if he just turns around the other way, uh, that ball is right in his lap. Um, so I thought, actually, you know, and and I should be fair here. There are also plays by Gabriel in that game where he just looks geeked up. He looks absolutely amped, and so he makes some throws that are five feet over the next over the nearest target's head because he just wants to gun it. And uh, I think they got to rein that in a little bit. But I thought overall his night was pretty good.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that you know it was good having the the running game kind of back him up when he was kind of scuffling there in the second quarter and then they're like look you need to let's just settle down a little bit here and 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 you'll be all right now we got word also this week as if the quarterback situation wasn't complicated enough daryl yes. mack is cleared and yes he will be and, and and now what's the story with him are we going to see him at all
2: uh i'm not i'm they i not certain if he will play, but he has been cleared to play. Uh, Basically, if if they want to put him out there, he is available to play. And, you know, we talked to Coach Jeff Lebby today, the quarterback's Coach Jeff Lebby today, and uh, it was brought up about, you know, rust, and, you know, he missed all of training camp, obviously, because he's been on the mend since early July with his broken ankle, so he missed all of training camp, Uh, and he just got cleared to practice last week. So they can't really expect to throw him out there right away can they well levy did say that <laughs> you know that levy did say that that Mac has been around you know he's been in the room every day uh, he knows the game plan as well as every all the other quarterbacks you know his experience helps because he's been with this game plan in live action before um, so they didn't say no they didn't they didn't say you know that you know, although he's healthy he's not gonna play they've left the door open maybe we'll find out some more tomorrow. When we talk to, well, Thursday, when we talk to Heupel, and, and maybe he'll give us an answer about whether or not uh, we actually might see Daryl Mack, because we know we're going to see Dylan Gabriel. Uh, we're about 99.9% sure that Wimbush will be out there as well. And it does sound like that Daryl Mack, if they want to, they can throw him out there too. Wow. This is, well, getting, it, this is getting interesting, isn't it, Eric? <laughs>
0: well, uh, let me ask you this. So I mean, a couple of things, Brian, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. At the Monday yeah. presser, Josh Heupel voluntarily brought up Daryl Mack correct that was not as a result of a question about Mac, right am I if I remember listening correct so he went out of his way to bring it up which is what struck me it wasn't like hey how was Darryl Mack doing he went out yeah, of his and, way to bring the fact up that he was cleared up correct
2: yes uh, it was um, a question uh, I was trying to find it in the transcript here but there was a question about I think Wimbush or or Gabriel and he brings up Daryl Mack and he just Kind of out of the blue says, yeah, DJ's yeah. been cleared to practice last week, and uh, and he's cleared to play this week. And it's like, well, oh, thanks for that. Thanks for thanks for that nugget. That just came out of nowhere. Yeah, it was, it, it was a question about Dylan Gabriel um, taking away things that he did well against uh, FAU, and he just throws in there like uh, DJ started practicing at the end of last week, and he's been cleared uh, for this week as well. Like, oh. I mean, cool. The question was about Gabriel, but thanks for that.
0: That was Hmm. fascinating to me. And he even expanded on his coach's show Wednesday night uh, with Mark Daniels about how he's been practicing this week. And even before he wasn't cleared, he's been throwing. Uh, And he's been around the team and things like that. It's very fascinating to me. I think a couple things here.
2: We knew he was, we didn't know, we knew that he was on the practice field about two weeks ago. Uh but like jogging and throwing and I mean, we, we've seen him throw before game. We saw him throw before the FAMU game. He was out there throwing. He wasn't in full pads, but he was out there throwing and, and pushing off of, uh, of his foot and well, really turning off of his foot. It's, it's, lead, it's his lead foot, uh, the left one that he broke. Um, so he you know, he's been throwing for a while. He's been out there doing just you know, working out and cardio. But now he has been in the offense practicing with the offense uh, for the past week or so. Um, but I, I, again, uh, we'll see if they they want to throw him out there. this could I, I don't know. I have no inside information on this. This could be a, a, a like a Quadri Jones situation where if the game gets to the point where they are comfortable with it, then they could get Mac some snaps later on, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. or they could well.
0: play him early. I mean this is the thing. Right. let's keep, there's a couple things here. Dylan Gabriel has played in two football games. The redshirt rule is you can play in four before you got to make a decision. In other words, if Dylan Gabriel plays in more than if and plays in five games, you cannot redshirt him. Now, UCF could still play him in two games and still redshirt him. And I just wonder, Brian, to me, because we focus so much in this uh, this quarterback battle, Wimbush Gabriel, Wimbush Gabriel, because Mac was out with the injury. Could it be possible? in my opinion, that Daryl Mack is the best quarterback for this team for this year right now, and Josh Heupel knows that, the tricky thing that kind of threw this off is the injury, and now the question is, how do you bring him back in? Do you start him right away? Do you bring him in for Stanford? Do you wait till Pittsburgh? Do you wait whenever? That's going to be, to me, the fact But I get a sense – Brian, we're going to find out, obviously, in the coming days and weeks, and you know, who knows? We're recording this on Wednesday night. This could completely change, uh, we, uh, as we've learned in the past, on, with news coming out <laughs> Thursday, Friday. It, right? it, it so could, it could
1: change it. when they when they take the field on Saturday. For all we know.
0: Correct. But I, I gotta tell you, Brian, my gut tells me is I don't know if this staff wants to depend on a true freshman for a majority of a game against a team like Stanford. I gotta have a feeling they kind of want to use a guy like Mac who's been in a big game before. No?
2: Yeah, and They're gonna. I think they're gonna use Mac, but I think to your point of they want to redshirt Gabriel. Um, to that, to you know, to that, I'll say this. I think they they certainly had aspirations of doing that when the season was before the season started, when Wimbush and Mac were both healthy, and maybe they had aspirations of doing that before the season started against Famu. However. I do believe that Dylan Gabriel is probably the best natural passer on this team at the quarterback position. Um, among the three, among the Wimbush, Mac, and Gabriel, I think I think Gabriel's clearly their best thrower. And, you know, there's a there is this this thing that Mackenzie Milton talked about last year about, you know, the, the you know, the kids from Hawaii. Because Hawaii as a culture is so laid back and cool and calm that for the kids to come off of the off the island and, and play college football on the mainland, that sort of carries over into these pressure situations. And we've seen that with McKenzie, the way he performs in pressure situations. And I think it was so interesting to listen to Dylan Gabriel after the game on Saturday talk about his first collegiate start as if it was it literally just no big deal. Like, no, it was like just another snap. I think he um, literally
1: said that, right? As no big deal. He
2: did. <laughs> so he found out on Thursday, according to Heifel, he found out on Thursday that he would be the starter for this game against FAU. He didn't tell his parents until they arrived in Boca Saturday, um, because and go why, why? didn't you tell your parents? I mean, it wasn't a big deal, and I think that sort of mindset gives you a clue of how he approaches the the, the, the you know what we believe to be the stress and, and the burden of being a college starting quarterback. I don't know if he is um, if he is really wearing that much because he just he, his mind um, is. is so he's so poised and i I really do think that i i think the odds of of him being redshirted are probably much less than this when the season began because of that uh, of his intangible mindset uh and and again i think he is the best natural passer on this team
0: but is it what the lot experience. I mean, I saw we saw McKenzie Milton in his freshman year have great moments and really low moments and I don't care how cool yeah. a customer you are, you're going to you're going to run into some issues here and this is a team that I might, again, we've talked about it earlier, with the way this offensive line is with this running game, I don't think you need great quarterback play. You just don't need the quarterback to kill you and cost you a game and I just wonder if this staff believes a guy like Daryl Mack perhaps Maybe it's a combination, as I've said. Maybe it's a two-quarterback year. Maybe it's Mack and, and Gabriel. Maybe it's Mack and Wimbush. Maybe it's Wimbush and Gabriel. I don't know. I just I, It's going to be really interesting the next couple of weeks how this yeah. staff decides on the score. It's really fascinating. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen anything like it where you, in theory, have three guys who are different but yet have, bring different dimensions there. Uh, I, I just think it's very interesting. And I think the fact that Max in play, I think, is fascinating to me. Uh, remember, he's a redshirt sophomore. He won a McCom- I mean, some people think that second half at Memphis that you both were at. I want you to comment. on Some people think that's maybe the one of the best halves that any UCF quarterbacks ever played in the history of the program. Um, mm-hmm. Could that perhaps, maybe, the best case scenario is? Or are they thinking maybe we can win, what accomplish our goals with Mac this year? Redshirt Gabriel, because he can learn more, you know, and we don't have to throw too much at him, and he could be better off for it a year from now. Who knows? That's just thought process. We're going to know more in the coming weeks. But I think it's very fascinating. I'm just fascinated yeah. by where this goes. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a nice problem to have. I, I'm still I'm still in that camp that's, like, divided between the, you know, A, is it a nice problem to have, or B, when you have three quarterbacks, do you really have any? Kind of camp. I know it's stupid yeah. cliche, but. Um, well, but if you run cliche. if you
0: run the football like they can, it may not matter.
1: That's true. That's true. And it, certainly if they run the football like they did against FAU, um, it right. won't matter. So, uh, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, UCF's upcoming opponent, the Stanford Cardinals. This is the, this is the first ever, if I'm not mistaken, the first ever trip by Stanford to the state of Florida to play a football game no, in the regular no. season.
0: Not- Oh, well, maybe regular
1: season, yeah. Yeah, okay, regular no. season. So, anyway, we got uh, We'll we'll preview the Stanford game coming up and uh, some weather that we might have to look out for with this game. Stick around, Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. We'll be right back.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars dot com.
1: Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Chef Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we've uh we we talk about the quarterback situation and now um that moves itself forward into UCF's opponent for this week, the Stanford Cardinal, who started the year uh ranked but have since fallen out of the top twenty-five. They got boat raced by USC um last week in uh Los Angeles. And now they have to come across country to uh face UCF, by the way, but before we talk about that, I forgot to let Murph give out his game ball for Saturday against the FAU. I almost gave, I know, this I know. It's it, it's, this it, it's is, a bad job. Bad job by me.
2: A, this is a long-running black-and-gold banneret podcast staple going all the way back to last week. <laughs> uh, so, now in its second week of existence, Uh, I have a cop out answer. I will give the game ball to the offensive line. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. Everybody there. Because they really were. I mean, really, guys, they were pushing, like, they were pushing guys three, four yards back off the ball. They were were smothering FAU's front seven all day. It so easy. They made it so easy for guys like Ben and Otis and, and, and Greg McRae. It really was, like, it didn't matter what they did, and I've, I know i never already said it, but it didn't matter where they were running, there were going to be holes there. Yeah, so.
0: I love well, it. They're... I love it. I love the answer. I love the uh, the answer, and I love the segment. I feel like we could come up with a logo with a football and then, like, a hat, or like a football
2: wearing a hat. I feel like that. You need some happen. sort of drop. Yeah, we need some Murph's, sort of. game in, ball. Send in your, your game ball drops.
1: There you go. Send, send them to us at black and gold blackandgoldbannerhead at gmail.com. Meanwhile, that offensive line that you handed the game ball out to. They're going to have a bit of, more of a challenge this week against the uh, Stanford Cardinal out of the Pac-12. Um for some news on Stanford coming into this game. So, uh obviously we talked about their one and one on the season. They just dove out of the top 25 last week. They lost to Southern Cal uh 45 to 20 in the Coliseum in the Coliseum. Uh, they did beat uh, Northwestern in their first game 17-7 quarterback KJ Costello of uh, Stanford uh, in that opener against uh, the Wildcats was 16-20 for 152 yards and a pick, but he was concussed in that game Uh, and Stanford had to rely on uh, against USC um, uh, Davis Mills their backup quarterback who had a pretty decent game 22-36, 237 a touchdown and a pick was sacked three times. Um, but Stanford did not look like Stanford in that game, probably because of you know just how good SC was. This is Stanford's first ever trip to the Sunshine State to play a football game in the regular season. They've been here for bowl games before, but, um, but not in the uh, regular season. Costello is expected to be back. And by the way, he is a legit NFL prospect. Um, he should be fun to watch. Uh, however... Uh, Going against Stanford is their uh, is their uh, left tackle is out uh, for this game. He blew out his uh, his ACL, um, and uh, uh, what's his what's his last Walker oh, Little is his name. Walker Sorry. Little, yeah,
2: yeah. He, Walker, legit, Walker,
1: yeah, Walker Little, a legit NFL prospect of it in his own right, and he is out. First so that's
0: round.
1: yeah, first, first round, round guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so. If you're UCF's defensive line, you've got to be happy about that, especially if you're Randy Shannon. You've got to have a backup in there um, to try and try and put some pressure on Costello and get him off his spot. Uh, obviously, we know how good Stanford is in terms of their very disciplined football team, head coach by David Shaw, who um, kind of has a little bit of an old-school feel to him um, in terms of the scheme he likes to run. Pro style, they, they're physical up front, but they're a little slow. Um, styles make fights in this game Brian Murphy and uh, UCF is actually favored according to odd shark by uh, what is it seven and a half um, yeah odd shark was weird odd shark said that their opening line for this game was two and a half but um, yeah bovada's opening line was I think seven and that jumped up to eight and a half
2: um, well if, if- if they, if you if you accepted bets on this game, I think two weeks ago there were some places where the line was like a point and a half. Yeah. So yeah, since that you know that was two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you lose your left tackle. So uh, over under is at sixty one. By the way, seventy percent of the money is on UCF minus seven and a half. Sixty six. Excuse me. Sixty five percent of it is on the over the sixty one. Um, Brian, I'll start with you. What do we make of this game? Um, this is a big time opponent. This is a big time slot for UCF. Three thirty p.m. on Saturday on ESPN. Uh, a yep. lot of eyes are going to be on Spectrum Stadium once again. Um, what does UCF have to do to impress whoever may be watching?
2: Uh, win authoritatively. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, like like Dave, like David Pollock said, guys. It's too bad that Stanford lost. They're out of the top 25 now. Uh, uh, yes, the narrative them, is already set. <laughs> as if that makes them inferior. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, no, I mean like everybody knows what this is for UCF. It, I, the guys the guys on the team know what this game is. It's and it really isn't just another game. I know they'll all say that, and I am I've been fortunate enough to have a couple guys be bold and say how this game means a little something more because it's Stanford and I'll write about that for the site later on this week. But it is. I mean, it's a, it's a Power 5 conference team. It's an autonomous conference team, as you like to say, Jeffrey. And uh, th- this is a measuring stick. This is another big measuring stick for UCF to show that, yes, they can blow out FAU, but can they really dominate a, a Stanford team uh, out of the Pac-12? And um, so that's what this game is about. It's a, Again, it is really to see how good – UCF is and it doesn't matter if Stanford's 25 or 30 or 35. Stanford is a quality team, getting their future NFL quarterback back. Um so yeah, it's a it's a very very good opponent.
1: Eric, what say you on this? Uh you know, we've been looking forward to this game for a while now.
2: Help
0: me out, Jeff, and Murph, you could uh, too. I, th- is this the first Pac-12 team to play at Spectrum Stadium history here? To, yes. I was trying to think right? Am I right on that? Like Yeah, that's um, correct. And I also believe it's the only conference, the Pac-12, that UCF has yet to beat. They haven't played a lot of Pac-12 games. I believe they played Arizona State one year up in Tempe, and I think they played one other Pac-12 game. But I believe they beat Stanford. They
1: Stanford.
0: Yes, yes. That was I, the 10
1: game on the – yeah, we have blacked out 2015. But anyway, guys That's
0: ahead. why I did. That's why I didn't remember. Thank you, Murph. You were living in California, so you might remember. I watched I, that I, game I,
2: at 10:30. It was great. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Nobody else
2: did. Uh, Tim well, all, in all sleep. It was only 10 o'clock where I was when it ended. Um,
0: but the point is, what's interesting about it, is, so that, that there's a couple things here because the UCF has beaten a team from every other major conference, the Big 12, SEC, ACC, Big 10. They haven't beaten a team from the Pac-12. So I, think that's, I, I do think that that is cool and it's significant. And Stanford historically has been very good and a good program. However... Unfortunately, I have to disagree with Mr. Murphy. I don't think this is a very good Stanford team. Uh, and, And the reason is this is not the typical Stanford team that we're going to the Rose Bowl. And you alluded to it. Offensive line, they've got issues. They were not very good last year in their offensive line. They have injuries. Walker Little, as you mentioned, out. He was a first-round projected draft pick. In fact, many mock drafts had him going to the Dolphins, so that might explain why he's um, <laughs> hurt. He just, <laughs> just you know, what else is new?
2: Um, Dolphins still, still going to take him though at that yeah. draft pick. Probably. Why not? Yeah. We've
0: taken a guy with a mask, you know, before. So you know, why not? Um, but they got issues on the offensive line. This is not the Stanford team that used to dominate with McCaffrey in the backfield. You mentioned Murph, 2015. Or Bryce example. Love
1: too, remember him? Bryce
0: Love when he was healthy, nice right? They they struggled running the football last year. They only averaged three point seven yards a carry last year. In fact, they were finished eleventh in the Pac twelve in scoring. It's very odd. You mentioned Costello; he has a lot of hype. I don't, you know, he'll, depending on the combine, he could work himself into a first round quarterback. They actually Mills is a talented quarterback. They're very talented at the quarterback position. And the, even at the receivers, I think they like, and they if they have also produced great tight ends, which is I think something to keep in mind as well. But they haven't been the physically dominant team up front like the Stanford teams that, that they were in the Rose Bowl, and that's a kind of a problem because uh, they struggled with USC in, in that regard last week. And Todd McShay, who was doing the game with Adam Amin, even alluded to the fact that USC wore down Stanford with their speed and athleticism. But what does UCF have? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speed and athleticism. So I I don't know. You know, unfortunately, I know fans don't want to hear this, and you don't want to hear what David Pollack says, but there is some truth to this. Stanford is a one and one team. They lose this game to UCF. They've got Oregon next. They've got to play Washington. They've got to play UCLA. It's terrible, but you never know. Chip Kelly's going to win some games. They still got to play at Colorado, who actually has a very good, good team, I think. Washington State's ranked. They got to play Notre Dame. This could be a 6-6 six and six team, 7-5 and five team. It's not going to be a great team. That being said, I think this is – you mentioned it, Jeff, and you're right. It's a, it's a it's a matchup of styles. Stanford wants to play slow. They want to limit UCF's possessions. And I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, and that's the line of scrimmage. And now we're going to really – this is the first real test for UCF on the defensive line. And as even in the offensive line, how do they match up against Stanford up front? Because Stanford's going to try to be physical and beat them up up front because they're not going to want to get into a track meet because they're going to lose a track meet with UCF. I think this is the, what we're going to learn more about this UCF defensive front against Stanford. I think that's the thing that I'm looking forward to seeing Saturday. And the question is, could Mother Nature actually help Stanford on Saturday?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's the other thing that we got to talk about here because the five day um, uh, the five day forecast shows there's a so there is a tropical wave um, making its way across the Caribbean, and the forecast for Saturday is an eighty percent chance of rain, sixteen mile an hour winds, um, and thunderstorms, potential for heavy rainfall um, into the evening. Game game time is set for three thirty. Um, this could put the kibosh on some high flying offense if it if it's if it's a real mess out there. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be pretty bad. They're expecting all week, and obviously we're recording this on Wednesday night. The the uh, uh, forecast can change considerably.
0: In but, other words, well, weather people will be wrong as usual. Could be.
1: Oh boo! <laughs> oh, get out of <laughs> here with your. But get out of here. Get out of here. On behalf of on behalf of our our friend of the show Eric Burris, take that somewhere else. The um but if it's a if it's bad weather, Murph, does yeah. that will that help Stanford in this game or based on what we saw last week with UCF running the ball against FAU, is it basically a wash, no pun intended? Uh
2: uh-huh. Uh, no, it definitely helps Stanford from a couple of different standpoints. One, you 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 can if it if it is a, a monsoon a deluge, you, you really do limit the impact that a guy like Gabe Davis or, or Trey Nixon can have in this game. You know, UCF we talk about the running game, but they want to throw the ball deep down the field, and they can't. They, you know, they probably are going to be more conservative if, if you know if it's a um, a huge storm. And secondly, that rain brings. Uh, the temperature down and I think that allows Stanford to be more able to keep up with the tempo and you know this is one of the things that we're wondering about heading into this week is was Stanford going like like Pitt last year when Pitt came here last year and was flopping all over the turf because they couldn't handle the heat and the tempo and the tempo combination that if it was a hot Saturday afternoon at the balance house with that UCF tempo against Stanford would they be able to hold up well uh, if it's if it's a massive rainstorm, then it's probably gonna be pretty cool and at least more bearable than a 95 degree day with you know 105 degree heat index.
1: You know, I um, just so yeah. I, I, oh, sorry, Murph, go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, well, I was
2: gonna say. In Stanford's favor, if there is a uh, deluge.
1: You know, I was just thinking, and I had to get this out there. So, all right, let's say it's raining out. Got to run the football, right? Probably not going to do it very well with Dylan Gabriel, since he's here. Since since we're thinking he's your he's your pass first guy, right? Does this not yeah. set itself up for the return of the Mac?
2: Boy, you've really wearing tinfoil hat tonight, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but this what is, is think, an interesting Eric?
0: question, though. Well, this is the thing, though. How do you do? You trust Mac protecting the football?
1: That's true. In yeah. Bad
0: conditions. I mean, he had that was the issue with him, right? He, he had the three the fumbles in football. the
1: first half against Memphis. Actually, four was it four fumbles and no three fumbles and one of them was falling on for a touchdown. But anyway,
2: correct. I mean, so in for, I don't know. Confirm that Hayden Kingston will be starting this game for UCF so at quarterback now. Hayden Kingston. or or you yeah. could play
0: the quarterback that actually has actually started against Stanford in his career, Brandon Winbush, which has played in these type of Conditions. South Bend is not the greatest of weather year-round. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, I'm just I, – I, I, it's very interesting. Now, the good news is, yes, it does – I agree with Murph. It helps Stanford. But let's – I also think this does help – This it helps that you have a Greg McRae, right? Doesn't that – again, though, this team could still dominate running the football. And on paper, guys, UCF is a better running football team than Stanford. The numbers back that up. You can make the argument that UCF's got a better offensive line right now, especially with the injuries that Stanford has, has had uh, this year, especially to Walker Little. That's not like the past where Stanford um, is this juggernaut running of the football. So again, it goes back to—I know it's a very—I've t- said it a million times on this episode—the line of scrimmage, doesn't it?
2: No, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think stanford uh, uh, they rushing offense is like it's, it's like tenth in the Pac-12. Um, so you know there, you know Bryce Love is not walking through that door. So, yeah, I, UCF <laughs> is a better ground game, better offense, better probably a more cohesive, uh, certainly a more cohesive offensive line right now. Um, so yeah, and from that aspect, it helps UCF. I,
1: I would like to point out that UCF comes into this game sixth in the country in rushing yards per game, and uh, on offense, and fourth in the country in total yardage um through two games so uh you know that has to count for uh something here um in addition by the way UCF's defense I I thought this was this was actually pretty impressive 12th in the country uh, having given up only 410 yards um and against the run uh UCF is tied for 19th um in terms of oh that's total yards I'm sorry rushing yards per game given up I beg your pardon UCF is uh, tied for fifteenth at seventy point five per game, tied with Florida and there Virginia. Are
2: ca- there are obviously some caveats that. that yes, I stand. will.
1: I will put some caveats up there. Obviously against FAMU and uh, and, yeah, and FAU. Why... In addition to the fact that for some stupid reason college football still counts sacks as negative rush yards, wow. I don't know. It's well, also so stupid, the fact but...
2: that also the fact that UCF was. Crushing both those teams at halftime, forcing them to run, go away from the run. So, you know, right? I mean, the again, that's part of the
1: that's part fun. of the prop. That's part of the thing, right? I mean, that's you know, yeah. yeah of course, the they had to go away from the run.
0: The opponents are, are inferior. It's, that that's nothing to do with this game. But I will agree with Jeff on this point, though. I do will say this: I do think this defense is playing a lot better, cleaner.
1: Oh, than I agree. This
0: point they did at any point last year. They are definitely a much improved defense. Uh, From that standpoint, because even against inferior teams, Murph, last year, they didn't look clean at times. Missing tackles, blown. And I know, again, inferior competition early. But I will say this in Jeff's defense. And I don't know the numbers, whatever. At least the first two games, they've looked very clean. They've made the plays they're supposed to. They do look better than they did at any point last year, in my opinion, maybe outside of that Cincinnati game Saturday night last year.
1: Yeah, I mean they're getting to the spots. I think much much faster than they were um, last year.
2: You're two in the system, guys. You're two in the system.
1: Yeah, that's uh, well, that's what we do. But can
2: I add one thing before we get off of Stanford? Yes. Or, I want to. I hope the rain does stay away because we have a a possibly outstanding, tremendous one-on-one battle on the outside between Paulson Adebo, a cornerback from Stanford who's on every watch list a defender could possibly get. He's another first round guy for the Cardinal. He had 20 pass breakups last year. He already has 3 and 2 games this year. Please have him match up one-on-one every down with Gabe Davis. I want that hooked into my veins.
1: Mm, that should be a good one wow. if, if we get the chance to see it. By the way, um Great time slot for UCF, like we mentioned this game, right, Eric? ESPN, 330?
0: Yeah, 330 ESPN. um, You know, USC beating Stanford and BYU actually beating Tennessee probably is the reason why this is not an ABC game. Right, because they're on ABC. ABC. Right. Uh, Although they might be on ABC next week if they beat Stanford against Pittsburgh. We'll see. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good slot. Mark Jones, longtime South Florida guy, uh, is going to be calling the action, calls the NBA. Uh, he's going to be calling the game with Dusty Tvorak, who is the former Oklahoma defensive lineman, who's the analyst who uh, was part of the broadcast for the great UCF-USF game uh, with Adam Amin back in the day on that Black Friday in 2017. They're going to be on the call with Olivia Harlan decker That's the, the daughter of Kevin Harlan, the great uh, sportscaster, who calls the NBA and the NFL. She will be on the sideline. Uh, she's the daughter of, of Kevin Harlan. Is married to NBA star, uh, NBA player Sam Decker. She will be on the sideline, and that's why I personally like Merv. Hopes the rain stays away so she doesn't have to get deal with nonsense rain down there on the sideline.
2: <laughs> all all of the people on the sideline, including our photographer Derek Warden, doesn't want rain. Nobody wants rain if you're going to be out there for three hours.
1: Yeah, n- nobody wants rain. Although, although, although Derek, by the way, I, I don't know if you guys have checked out his photo gallery from the FAU game, but it's amazing. Um, rain always makes for some epic photography. I will say that. Yes. Um, uh, so the kickoff is at three thirty. Um, do be careful out there, folks. If the weather's terrible, um, you know, obviously, don't be stupid uh, and have a little patience with everybody because it's just going to slow everything down by about fifty percent. But uh, yeah, three thirty kick. Uh, if you're staying home, it'll be on. I think, uh, I think many of the
0: UCF. Fa- I think many of the UCF fans are. Going to the game, they were at Boca last week. Will not complain about the how to get into the UCF stadium after last that's, week. Trust that's me, that's true. That was an <laughs>
1: operational disaster, FAU. My God.
2: At least if it rains heavy, they won't run out of water at the stadium. <laughs>
1: that's true. That's also true. Um, yeah, I got to start. So, uh, so again, there's there's that, and well, UCF trying to avenge uh, one of the 2015 losses, 31-7 back in 2015. By the way. Anyone want to guess the uh, three quarterbacks who uh, who played that game for UCF?
2: Which well, Justin what, what Holman Black- started. Say so that again. Started,
1: Holman started. That's right, but he left the game due to an his, injury.
0: Injured his thumb, and we miss out multiple weeks. Or how many weeks? Yep. I believe Bo Schneider played.
1: Bo Schneider played. yeah.
0: But ended up starting the infamous Furman game the following week. And I want to say Nick Patty probably was the third guy.
1: No, Nick Patty did not play in that game. Tyler Harris was the was the uh, was the wow. guy played. Yeah. Um only one UCF touchdown scored by <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm actually I, surprised I, I, I you guys are here I'm actually surprised you guys are not are not guessing this guy.
2: Uh, because we blacked I don't out know. I
0: blacked out of the season. I try to forget who was on the team.
2: So Trae- help S- me, Trae- yeah, Smith. Only to win. Uh, Drake Wonsmith, Yes. The only yeah, Trae- so Trae- you're Trae-Kwan saying Smith.
0: that history could repeat itself. In theory, we could build a tradition against Stanford where we play three quarterbacks. It wouldn't be the first time if we played three quarterbacks this Saturday. Yeah,
1: six quarterbacks in one game.
0: <laughs> in, in
1: two games against Stanford. That would be something. Uh all right. We're going to take a uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back. Uh, we will talk about uh, the other sports that actually happened this week with uh, men's soccer um, getting a big victory over RPI Top 50 from last year, women's volleyball with a clean sweep over the weekend, uh, and, uh, and women's soccer uh, as well getting, uh, getting a big result as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold at Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we, uh, as we finish off talking about a busy weekend for the Olympic sports for UCF. And a big weekend it was. Um, and we will start um, with women's soccer. They um, went to Gainesville and, uh, well, let's put it this way. In the last 245 minutes of play between UCF and Florida in women's soccer, uh, UCF has outscored Florida by a combined score of eight to nothing. Uh, a two nothing victory for UCF. Um, it was Kristen Scott who had the um, who had the the second goal that wrapped it uh, for UCF. Ali Gudorf uh, had the uh, had the first one early in the game, the first two minutes and fifteen seconds. And uh, wow, UCF uh, getting the job done up in uh, up in Gainesville. Eric Lopez, this was this was a game that UCF really needed because they came into it winless. They were oh one and two. Um and having tied their last two games, they get the win over Florida and now Florida was receiving votes in the women's soccer coaches poll, um uh, United uh, and the United Soccer Coaches uh poll. But um the nice go to Gainesville and, and get a get a big, big W here and they face Arizona State at home on Thursday. But um this this felt like the spark win that they needed, right?
0: Absolutely. I thought it was a complete game defensively. Uh, they, I thought they were solid uh, against a Florida offense that's capable of scoring. I thought they got off to the great start scoring early to play with the lead and then held there, and then Kristen Scott with the goal, and then they put it away late in the match. Uh, very solid performance. The match was on uh, SEC Network Plus. So I got to watch it a little bit afterwards after the, the uh, tape version. because obviously uh, Sunday. It's NFL Sunday, so I was watching football, but I watched it later. And I thought it was a much more complete performance than they've had in any of their previous matches, and it's something for them to build about. By the way, for everybody that complains about rankings, oh, they hate UCF, they always draw, why do they draw? What's great about this, in women's soccer, UCF gets their first win of the year, and they're receiving votes. We're receiving votes right off the bat. (laughs) Boom. Huh? How about that? Hmm. Um, So I think that's awesome, and it's a big win for them. And now the question will be, can they carry that consistent performance? over to their home match against Arizona State on Thursday night Arizona State Pac-12 team uh, talented roster uh, coming all the way to Orlando this is a, a, a finish of a home-and-home UCF played at Arizona State two years ago and uh, I believe beat them in a very high dramatic match so I expect another exciting match and I'm curious to see how this defense can build uh, on that m- momentum from the Florida game led by Kanye Plummer the defenseman, who obviously was on the when the World Cup captain for Jamaica's, one of the captains on this UCF team, was honored as the American Conference Defender of the Week. More importantly, was honored as one of our three stars here on the Black and Gold banneret, the prestigious award that has begun now for uh, two weeks. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but I thought they were solid. And if they can continue to play well on the back line, because I think they have enough firepower offensively, it's just a question is can the defense be consistent. And I think Florida was a good step.
1: Yeah, and uh, by the way, Allie Gadorf also won a conference uh, honor roll. Uh, or she was the Rookie of the Week for that goal against Florida, and you mentioned Kanye getting Defensive Player of the Week as well, so that's uh, some props out to them. Their counterparts on the men's team also had a pretty big week. They uh, um, had a Friday-Sunday uh, at home. They tied Penn State 2-2 in double uh, OT. Uh, Cal Jennings had both of those goals, uh, for UCF, but uh, then they get all right. You, the uh, Sunday they play the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley (UTRGV). Before you scoff at that, UTRGV last year finished uh, it, or, or finished forty-eighth in the RPI, and they were picked to finish second in the WAC. That's the conference that they're in, and uh, the game goes to OT. Uh, UCF gets a PK in OT, and Yoni Sorokin puts it away in the 107th minute um, to finish it off. Uh, Cal Jennings and Andres Hernandez both had goals. UCF actually blew a 2 nothing lead in this game. They were up 2 nothing after the first three and a half minutes. Um, UTRGV came back with a goal in the 90th minute um, to tie it, uh, but then Sorokin got the PK goal, and you know, it was funny. I watched the reaction of the players coming off the field, and they fit, they had this this look, uh, the body language was very much like, oh man, I can't believe we got away with this one. Um, but a win is a win is a win. They're two and what two one and one um, on the season, Eric, and that's uh and that's that could be a, has potentially a big RPI win for them too against uh, against Rio Grande Valley. No,
0: it is. Well, I just you get the win, clutch there. I'm sure Coach Calabrese's a little disappointed with his defense, not just in that match but in the Penn State match. They had the lead. Uh, in the Penn State match. I watched that, and they gave up the goal there, a couple goals there. They probably wish they would have had back, but have won that match easily. So I think they yeah. want to clean some things up defensively. But look, they have the firepower offensively. And I'm just going to say this, and I know some people aren't going to like this, but I think it's true. I think Cal Jennings right now is the best UCF athlete on campus in, the, in general right now. You might be right about it, that. This guy is unbelievable. Um, and I think Jeffrey... He, if he continues to – he scored basically four straight goals going back to the game winner against North Carolina, scored both goals against Penn State, scored the first goal a few minutes in against UTRGV, and just watching him is just impressive. Because the thing is, you know that the defenses are, are, are planning to stop him, and they right. can't. Um, and he's just a skillful scorer and uh, is, is such a delight. And I think, to me – He's going to – if he continues this trend, he's going to be the American Conference Offensive Player of the Year for the second year. He's probably going to be an All-American for a second time. And I think he is going to enter the conversation among maybe the one of the greatest men's soccer players this program's ever produced. And I think he has a future in the MLS. Um, maybe Orlando City may, may actually do something smart for a change and draft him because they can <laughs> use somebody that can actually put the ball in the net True once statement. in a while. Uh, but he's just unbelievable. I, I just think he is phenomenal. And I'm just going to speak his praises all year because, man, that guy deserves it. Because I don't think, Jeffrey, you tell me, I can't remember a more exciting men's soccer player that we've ever had than Cal Jennings. And it's just unbelievable to watch his growth.
1: Yeah, he's been, I I mean, he's a cheat code. There's no other way I can really describe it. I mean, it's just a treat to watch him play. But I I, want to give a special shout-out to his midfielders, too, because those guys are the key to unlocking that offense. And what they've been able to do to set him uh to set him up for his opportunities has just been um a work of art. And like it, and seriously, this is the most exciting soccer team in the state of Florida. It really is. At I any agree. level.
0: 100 percent And any, I agree. 100%. Watch.
1: Jennings, by the way, tied for eighth in the country in goals uh with four. Three guys are tied at the top with six. Aris Briggs of Georgia State, Anders Engibretsen of St. Mary's. And Jordan Hall of UConn, so uh, so Cal, Uh-oh. interestingly enough, is not even first in the conference in goals. So um, so that's that that might be an interesting race we have to keep an eye on is between him and uh, Jordan Hall of UConn uh, to see who gets uh, top honors at the end of the year. Uh, men's soccer coming up there. By the way, they are number 16th in the uh, United Soccer Coaches poll. Uh, Jennings and um, goalkeeper Yannick Edel won uh, conference awards this week. Uh, Edel was a goalkeeper uh, of the He did very uh, well. I'll tell you what, he
0: did very well. The reason he won that, Jeffrey, because they, I mean, defensively kind of let him down a little bit and he had to make some big saves to preserve those results that they got. They got to clean that up a little bit here as they get ready for VCU on Friday night and beyond.
1: Yep, VCU on Friday and uh, the following Wednesday they're at FGCU uh, on the 18th so we'll be keeping an eye on that as well last but not least women's volleyball opening up uh, the uh, 2019 home slate at the UCF challenge um, against South Carolina Albany and Kansas um, South Carolina and Kansas both kind of middle of the pack teams in their respective conferences the SEC and the Big 12 Albany actually finished uh, uh, they went to the uh, championship game of their conference or championship match of their conference and lost in five last year um, but these are three very much improved teams. South Carolina and Kansas—you know—you're going to get some good, a- some good athleticism with those squads. And UCF just clean sweeps everybody: three nothing, three nothing, three nothing in all three matches. Um, the biggest challenge came from South Carolina, obviously. But man, what they did against Kansas on Sunday was really something. Held them to 15 in two of the three sets, um, and that was with Kansas basically taking away McKenna Melville in that match. Um, She only had five kills in the match, but it was the right size, um, including Amory Watson, who just really took care of business. Um, And uh, and, uh, UCF was able to come away with that um, clean sweep before they have a big tournament coming up on the road at Illinois State, the Redbird Classic, where they will face two top 15 teams, Marquette, who's number seven, and Illinois, who's number 14. So this is a... Now, now we're really going to separate the women from the girls, wow. so to speak, uh, with uh, UCF taking on that schedule, aren't we?
0: Well, credit to Illinois State for scheduling that tournament. I
1: way, know. right?
0: I mean, Mar- Marquette, <laughs> Illinois, I mean, UCF, I, some would argue UCF should be ranked top 25 based on what they did last year and what they've done so far this year. I yeah. think we can agree. I would like to think if UCF were to go, let's say, 2-1, and one, this weekend, maybe that gets them a top 25 ranking. But well,
1: well they're um, receiving votes right now, but they're the last team receiving votes,
0: which means what they're ranked. What
1: well, they're ranked. Well, I mean, I don't know what they're at, but they're the they have six total. Let's see 26, 27, 28, 29, 30,
0: 31, 32, 33. What do so. you think that is? Is that just because they don't have the, the brand name in volleyball? I mean. I'm kind of surprised by that. I mean, they returned pretty much everybody from last year's team.
1: It's because, uh, well, it's because it's, uh, unfortunately, the American just doesn't get the respect in volleyball that it probably should. Cincinnati, by the way, is receiving votes, and and they're receiving more votes than UCF, but they're only two spots ahead with 20 total votes. Meanwhile, if you look at the top 25, all right, number one, it blacked out on me. Hang on, let me refresh it here, but... Well, Murph, uh, are you
0: hearing this? Are you hearing this? See, it's not just a football thing for all those fans to no. get upset with the football rankings, Murph.
2: Everyone, it's rigged. Like Adrian Killen said today, it's on Twitter. Everyone is is overlooking UCF in every sport every day.
0: <laughs> did he really did that? He did that. Wow. Good for
2: him. Good for him. Oh, so exactly. I, I, exactly. I love it when
1: <laughs> I love it when you got, you know, when Adrian Killens is, is like, <laughs> it's, it's like, hey, hey, this is what I think. I really don't care what you think. Um, all right, so here's the top 25. Ready? Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, Pitt's ACC, they're six, uh, Marquette's Big East. But then Big Ten, Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC, uh, Pac-12, BYU, and then Big Ten – uh, SEC, Pac-12, Creighton, Hawaii, and they're always up there. But um, well, you
0: know, BYU too. Why right? wouldn't you qualify? BYU and Hawaii are kind of like those programs. That they're are always, always like, there. Boise States in football and yeah, like the, Gonzaga and Ben's basketball. They're always there. So that's why
1: great analogy. Great analogy. And oh, uh, yeah, Hawaii, you know. Hawaii, Hawaii has been in the top twenty-five. I swear for forty consecutive years. Um, the uh, Colorado, USC, Mizzou, y'all sensitive trend here. A lot of Big Twelve. Right. A lot of Pac-12, a lot of Big Ten. Uh, Florida State rounds right. out the top 25 at number 25, and then you have, you know, in the receiving votes right. category, you have like your, you have like your, your, your Colorado States, your San Diego's, your Rice, Cincinnati, Dayton, and UCF. That tells me that that's it's. You want to complain about football? You're absolutely right, Eric. It's a it's an autonomous five party in volleyball all the time.
0: By, and, and, and by the way, this is not a media poll. It's a it's the coaches.
1: Sport. That's right. Well, SIDs, but
0: you know, and that's the thing that people don't get. Like, like, that's the way it is. Like, coaches are just as guilty as media because they tend to, and I, you know, and, and I won't, you know, they will tend to give the benefit of doubt to a program they're used to. No, oh yeah, Hawaii. They're always great, and so you know, boom, boom, boom. You know, that's how this works in every sport. And I think. We're not really, and, and fans don't help. Fans are just as guilty. They don't want to admit this, but they're just as guilty because I watched Michigan and, and, and Army play a really good game. Army played great. Army, everybody, anybody that's followed Army the last couple of years knows they're good. And yet the narrative was, man, Jim Harbaugh stinks. Michigan stinks. We never give these teams the credit. It's always going to be, well, boy, what's wrong with Michigan, And I tell you, that's the problem. It's not just the maybe Army's maybe good. It's not- <laughs> That's my point. Michigan played. And I think until that narrative changes of, man, you know, that team's really good and and give more of a, you know, instead of constantly bewildering and just, you know, knocking, oh, my God, they played so terrible. Maybe, you know, that's the problem. It's not a college football committee issue. It's not just a a football college football media issue. I think it's a fans, media, coaches, everybody's guilty of this uh, based on, you know, whatever you want to describe it as.
1: Yeah. So um, except Murphy, Murphy
0: Murphy's right down the line. Murphy's not right, Murph. You don't you don't get caught up in all that. No, no, I'm my own man, Eric.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So UCF volleyball will face up. By the way, this is great. Um, Like I said, number seven Marquette, number fourteen Illinois, and then the host Illinois State. All three UCF matches will be shown live on ESPN Plus, and I'll make sure I get the link out for those of you who might be interested in watching. um and that's, and that's big and uh, by the way quick shout out to Christina Fisher who was named the UCF Challenge MVP um, who's, even though she was second on the team in kills she was outstanding all three matches um, and uh, Mackenzie Chambers has become uh, a real force for UCF on that right side between Mackenzie Chambers and Anne-Marie Watson UCF has a solidified right side now opposite Fisher and McKenna Melville, who are the who are the left side outsides, but um, and then we're and we saw and this this actually makes me really happy was uh, we saw quite a bit more coming from the middle blockers, um, especially uh, you know in matchups where I think UCF was outsized. Man, this is the other thing I was really impressed with was again South Carolina and Kansas. UCF was more athletic than South Carolina and Kansas in both matches, and it wasn't close. Um, the closest was South Carolina, but, you know, Kansas, you might think, you know, oh, Big 12, you know, Big 12, volleyball, you know, they've been around for a while. They Their team's kind of been around the block. They're a little down right now, but, you know, still by comparison, pretty good competition. Much bigger than UCF. They had six five, six three across the middle, and UCF just, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because UCF was that much more athletic than they were. So this should be a very interesting test for Coach Dagenet's squad against Marquette, Illinois, and... um Illinois State coming up so
0: all right kind of a, also a, kind of a homecoming of sorts for uh, assistant coach Jenny Bauer who obviously coached in the Missouri Valley yeah uh, coach Bradley before coming over here he's got a lot of family friends and people up there in the normal Illinois area I know they're gonna probably come over there hopefully I work for UCF as well so and give her credit too right Jeffrey because uh, she's been part of that recruiting that they've had there with Todd there the building this young talent this nucleus that they have currently
1: yeah, and it's and it shows so far, uh, and it's been really something to watch, and and the entire the, the entire coaching staff has just been a well oiled machine these past two seasons. It's really been something to watch. So uh, one last thing I wanted to uh, point out: props to UCF women's golf. They were up at the uh, Cougar Classic, uh, which was uh, hosted by. Um, Uh, which was uh, hosted by uh, College of Charleston uh, up in Charleston, South Carolina and uh, on what was it, they finished their third round, this is according to UCF they finished their third round with a combined team score of 279 that's the lowest par 72 score uh, for UCF since the uh, since the UCF challenge in the spring of 2017 <clears throat> so uh props to them for getting it done. Um it's uh and and, and playing really well. Maria Balcazar, um Laura Collado who were fantastic last year are back. Elizabeth Moon is back and uh and also uh Tunrada Pidden and Chinatsu Kobayashi uh contributing for UCF. So congrats to them uh on an it's outstanding. Pretty good as gift, well. uh, a good
0: birthday gift good birthday gift for uh, coach Marin who had her yeah. birthday earlier this
1: yeah, happy, belated happy birthday to Emily Marin, by the way, and friend of the show. So let's uh, wrap this thing up, Eric and Brian. Brian, I'll start with you. What do you have coming up uh, this week as we prepare for this monstrous game against Stanford?
2: I talked to a lot of the guys. Well, first, let me say, as I wrap up here, I appreciate anyone who has listened this far uh, and hasn't turned it off. And hasn't turned it off. Yet yeah, due to my smoker's voice slash I uh, have <laughs> days. Are you, are
1: you, uh, have you caught vaping disease, Brian? Is that what's going
2: that's on here? Right. I, have, I, have the und- I have the undetectable whatever it is vaping disease. I don't know what's happening to my voice, but whatever like it is-, this is.
0: Did you scream a lot Either either A, you must have screamed a lot during the Yankee Red Sox series, or B, you screamed a lot during the Giants-Cowboys game? <laughs> Got
2: to be one of the two. Oh, no. Giants Cowboys was thoroughly depressing. I was mostly just crying. Yeah. Uh, I was in a fetal position Saturday, on the couch for that, but anyway. Probably on Saturday when I heard they were starting Gabriel, I went, like, What? That, that was <laughs> well, what <happened>. that's true. <laughs> not true.
1: Uh,
2: but anyway, yeah, it's been really tough, so thanks for listening. Uh, secondly, I will uh, put up an article uh, most likely on Friday, maybe Thursday night. Because I've asked a lot of the guys on the team about, you know, playing an autonomous, you know, conference team, and if it means anything different. And short answer, yeah, it does. Uh, so, I, they, they, a lot of the players had some pretty um, revealing and honest answers to the question of playing Stanford. So I'll put that up there, and then I'll have my, uh, my checklist or whatever it is thing that I don't know what to call exactly. I
1: love it. I love that you've been doing this, by the way.
2: I, okay well one one if I, I choose four things every week that I know I'm gonna watch and if you've listened to the first two segments of the show, you can almost you can almost guess and know what four things I'm gonna put down in that article on Saturday morning. But secondly, if you've got suggestions for the title of this thing because yeah I'm a writer and I also spent like five years as a copy editor, but I'm a really bad copy editor. So if anybody's got title <laughs> ideas, send them my way, because I don't like the way this thing is titled.
1: Yeah, we got okay, some. Send, send your suggestions right now. Uh, uh, James Reed, by the way, we need you on this, because you're pretty good at branding. Send his suggestions right now to, um, to uh, UCF underscore Bannerette on Twitter.
2: It's currently called, like, I don't even know, because it's such a, like, not even, like, infirm title, but it's, like, basically, like, It's basically called my my UCF checklist. Yeah, or your week week two checklist. It's like a week three checklist for this week. Now, I couldn't do Do – Murphy's Law
0: this? I mean, I
2: don't know. Oh, Murphy's Laws. Yes. Huh? Yeah. No, I will not do Murphy's Law because, one, it's too cliche. Secondly, people don't understand that Murphy's Law is negative. Murphy's Law says anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So I'm not throwing it out there in the ether. Think again, guys. Anyway, since ah, I can't come geez. up with this thought on my own, I need someone else to do it for me. This is how all great people in life have succeeded, by depending on others to do things for them. And in this case, I need I need title ideas because I don't like the title for this thing that I've thought up. Anyway.
1: We need something that rhymes with law or something alliterative with the letter M. Or B. Also, Brian. I, will
2: take any, I will take any wheelchair jokes or any wheelchair puns <laughs> that's enough fit into football as like part of the title for this thing. Because, uh, look, my, my, my Twitter handle is Spokes underscore Murphy. I mean, obviously, I'm not shy. So if you have, like, wheelchair puns that you could fit into this, I'm all about it. Um, but I will have that Saturday morning, and then I will uh, definitely try to have the review up on that. On uh, Sunday or Monday, I couldn't do that for the FAU game uh, because I was down in Boca till late, Uh, and then Monday was just a complete cluster for me. So anyway, that's what I've got coming up, and I'm going to eat like six lozenges now.
1: All right. By the way, I do want to give a shout-out. I do want to give a shout-out to our SB Nation compatriots um, at ruleoftree.com, ruleoftree.com. If you want to catch up on what's going on with Stanford, Head on over to their site. They do a fantastic job with that. Matt Vassar is over there. Uh, Jack Blanchett um, and uh, Grant Avalon do a wonderful job. And their entire staff over there Charlie Foy, all the guys. So make sure you uh, follow them this week. Uh, Rule of Tree on Twitter is where you want to go. Rule of Tree. Eric, what do you got coming up?
0: We got right now in a black and gold banner, the aforementioned uh, three stars, our three stars of the week for Knights athletes. Obviously mentioned earlier, Kanye Plummer was one of them. Who were the other two? Check it out. Black and Gold Bandera, will you nominate and award, uh, give acknowledgement to three UCF athletes each week on the Olympic sports uh, scene. We'll be doing that all year round. And then I'm going to be hanging out with Murph in the press box on Saturday. There, hopefully uh, helping him with the voice there. If he needs some coffee, I may have to go get him some coffee or
2: some tea. Can we get some coffee? Please, God. Oh, there you go. Jesus. We
0: heard the man's voice. Uh, we, so we'll get. I'll be with him on the Saturday. We'll be in the press box, uh, weather permitting. We may do some videos, but uh, it all you know depends what weather, whatever this tropical system is called or whatever it is that is supposedly coming here, but probably won't come here because most meteorologists get it wrong anyway. But uh,
2: anyway, well, uh,
1: how dare <laughs> you? How dare you? <laughs>
2: um, Eric, Eric is unabashedly going. Full I am coming to your- the. Thank you. <laughs> What is I, this?
1: I'm coming to the defense of meteorologists everywhere.
0: Very well. Good
2: for you. Uh, so, 13-year-old we'll, we'll, me is very upset at you, Eric. Really <laughs> quite upset. <laughs>
0: well, I'll, try to, uh, I'll try to make you happier by the time we hang out on Saturday. Uh, well, Maybe you can rip me on the video on the Saturday there. We'll see what we can do. We'll <laughs> see what uh, the, the elements allows us to do. And then uh, I actually got to work and get post-game audio from both teams. Uh, so I'm actually going to be hearing what David Shaw has to say about UCF. So I may have to post that on the, on the Black and Gold banner and as well as for my other gig that I'm working at the football game. Because we all have multiple hats, folks. Uh, that's the beauty of covering sports for a living is we just cover – We if we have to have multiple jobs, we do it. That's what we do. So we're, we're going to cover this uh, in-depth there for the Stanford-UCF game. Looking forward to it on Saturday.
2: Sounds I good. wear multiple hats. I wear multiple stetson fedoras. That's right. It's a cheap hat plug. maybe that's, that's what we should call your like. That
0: was way your, too like, easy, and ball, I'm not going like, to count that one. Can we call it? Maybe we should call Murph's game ball like the fedora hat of the game or something. Like that. <laughs> huh?
1: He gets to th- this guy gets to wear the fedora. <laughs> that's
0: right, the fedora. Oh, I like it. Can we do that? Let's let's put that to a vote.
1: Let's go yeah. with it. Um. And I will have, uh, obviously, I'll be, we'll be captaining the live blog from the game uh, with uh, UCF and uh, Stanford. We'll be following what UCF Volleyball does this weekend in that big, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in that massive uh, weekend that they have coming up. Um, and uh, be sure to follow us along at UCF underscore Banneret uh, on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, uh, and of course, Black and Gold where we will have. Uh, of course, Luke Sierras' preview of the game. We'll have another roundtable. Jeremy Brenner coming up. Lots of stuff coming for you as we get ready for UCF against Stanford. Um, please be safe out there. If the weather is bad, give everybody a little bit of an extra patient, a little bit of extra patience. It's gonna, it might be one of those kinds of days out there, and uh, but hopefully we'll have a good football game uh, for the national audience uh, on Saturday. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Enjoy the Stanford game. Catch you next week.